I use a sleeping app to track my sleep on my phone. And uh, I fell in love with this app. I've, I'm now close to 700 nights. I don't do weekends, but I do during the week, and I track my sleep. And on this the sleeping app, it, traps, it tracks how quickly I fall asleep, which is 28 minutes, by the way. That's the average of how quick I fall asleep once I'm in bed. It tracks how long I sleep. I won't tell you that because it's too short. I'm believing to get it actually to get longer. It tells me how average I actually fall asleep. It tells me what, what times of the night I go into REM sleep, into um, the deepest sleep. It also tells me if I snore, and Nancy will tell you I do snore. Um, I think last night, uh, two nights ago, I slept, I snored for three minutes. Not bad, uh, but it tracks all of it. One of my favorite things about this app is that once in a while I use it, there's a playlist that helps you relax and go to sleep. And sometimes it's the sound of waves of the ocean. Some of you have moved to the Maritimes recently and you understand how great that sound is. And there's other sounds on there of running water, which doesn't really help me because I'm trying not to pee during the middle of the night. I'm at that age, so I don't need that noise, right? Um, but my favorite one is called Cityscape. And this one is literally the sound of cobblestone, people walking down cobblestone. I'm always picturing Williamsburg, New York, my favorite place in the world. I'm picturing New York, and people are walking down cobblestone. And you can hear the sound of dishes clanging, of outdoor, like in Little Italy. And people are at cafes. You can hear glasses, and you can hear plates, and you can hear the faint conversation, the, the odd uh, car horn going off in the distance, and there's just this music behind it, and it's this picture of walking through outdoor dining in the heart of a city on a summer night, and that is my happy place. That's how I go to sleep many, many nights. Some of you are like, you are crazy. The sound of cities. But the sound of people eating and talking and laughing is one of the best, most enjoyable sounds. In fact, even last Sunday, uh, we experienced it as a church, our family dinner. What a Sunday last week to be a guest at our church. And we had first-time guests last week. Some of you came back expecting empanadas this week, and you're so disappointed. We've got some styrofoam you're going to have in a moment and some juice. It's going to be so good. But some of you are like, well, wait a minute, time out. Where, where's all the food? Where's all the food? It's, that's, how many think we should do that again? I think we should do that again. Amen. Just not this week. It was so good. Proven data. Proven data. Scientific research is that the most joyful moments in life usually have eating meals together with friends. It's funny how in celebrations there's always seems to be food and friends together. When we celebrate birthdays, we did that last night with friends. We had food and we celebrated. When you celebrate engagements or marriage or if you have graduations or you're celebrating a raise or you're celebrating that it's no longer winter in Jesus' name and you have barbecues or something, few things in life are as enjoyable as meals with friends and deep relationship. Food is at the heart of so much good and so much bad in our world. It really is. These statistics are American, but I think they correlate to Canadian. In the USA alone, 50 billion a year, $50 billion a year is spent on dieting. Food gone wrong. At any given time, 25% of men and 45% of women are dieting. Do you know Christians last year in America alone spent more on dieting than they did on missions last year? The average American family throws out uh, $1,500 in food each year. Think about what could happen if collectively we would figure out how to use that money, use that resource to change the world. If you did the math on, on Americans on $1,500 um, a person, it's $500 billion a year thrown out into the trash. Think about what we could solve globally 
injustice and starvation and abuse and trafficking and all the things with $500 billion. Unhealthy food is cheaper than healthy food. If you're shopping recently, you'll know that's true. It's easier to buy something that you put in a microwave than something you have to cut up and steam yourself. Uh, unhealthy food is cheaper. Modified food is even cheaper and it gr to grow, but it has less nutrients. Profit over health is the theme of governments, businesses, and even homes going, I can't afford the healthy stuff. I'm going to go for the budget for what I can afford. In fact, the original temptation in Genesis was to eat from the wrong tree. Food is at the heart of so much good and so much pain and bad in our culture. If you go back to our meal in this series, this, uh, the sermon in the series, Happy Meals, that people are happiest, proven scientific data are happiest when practicing the spiritual discipline of celebrating hospitality around meals with friends and connecting in meaningful conversations. It's when your happiness, not when your team wins, not when you get a raise. It's when you're with people in deep conversation that you love and trust, breaking bread, uh, cutting lasagnas, come on, eating good pasta, uh, having great New York pizza is when we are, how many just got hungry? I got a little hungry right there. All that's right and all that's wrong in the world meets at the table. Is there a practice in life is there a practice that from Jesus' life and his teachings that is in a healthy way connects food, connects relationships, and connects our, uh, our faith in God? Is there, is there a way in Jesus' life and his teachings that connects food in a healthy way, this relationship with each other, and also our relationship with God? There is, and we call it communion. There's many names for communion, but it is, it is God's plan, it is God's design for how we meet hospitality and food, relationships, and our connection to him together. And I want to unpack today, uh, maybe, maybe to pull back the veil a little bit. I know I learned a lot even in this study and, and learning from this on communion and hospitality. I believe it will probably change the way you do meals with your friends maybe family meals and the way we meet as a church. In Luke chapter two, chapter 22, it's going to be our text today. Luke chapter 22, I'm going to start reading in verse 7. I'm going to go to verse 27, talking about communion. Jesus is setting up the Lord's Supper. You know it by many different names. Starting in verse 7, this is just before Jesus is arrested, taken, and crucified, took our sins so we could be free. He was crucified, died, rose from the dead, which we will celebrate at Rebecca Cohen on April 9th. Communion starts here in verse 7. It says, Now the festival of unleavened bread arrived when the Passover lamb is sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John ahead and said, Go and prepare the Passover meal so we can eat it together. Where do you want us to prepare it? They asked him. They didn't have a venue either. Look at this. <laughs> he replied, As soon as you enter Halifax, I mean Jerusalem, a man carrying a warehouse, I mean a pitcher of water, will meet you. And for one dollar, he'll sell you. No, he won't. That's just my prayer. Okay. A man carrying a pitcher of water will meet you. Follow him. At the house he enters, say to the owner, the teacher asks, where is the guest room so I can eat a Passover meal with my disciples? He will take you upstairs to a large room that is already set up. It already has sound system, Brad. I love that. Where you should prepare our meal. Then they went off to the city and found everything just as Jesus had said, and they prepared the Passover meal there. 
When the time came, Jesus and the disciples sat down together at the table. It's funny how often you see the word table now. At the table. And Jesus said, I have been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. For I would tell you now that I won't eat this meal again until uh, the meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. And he said, take this and share it among yourselves. Pass it down. For I will not drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come. Then he took some bread. And he gave thanks to God for it. And he broke it into pieces and gave it to the disciples. This is my body which is given for you. Do this to remember me. I'm so thankful God's not against carbs. Amen. After supper, he took a cup of wine and said, This is my cup in the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. But here at this table, sitting among us as a friend, is a man who will betray me. For it has been determined that the Son of Man must die, but what sorrow awaits the one who betrays him. The disciples begin to ask each other which one would ever do such a thing. Then they begin to argue among themselves about who would be the greatest among them. I love the disciples. They're like, who's, who's going to betray Jesus? And then it quickly switches to, I think I'm better than you. And then who's the greatest? Not the right time, guys. Not the right time. And then Jesus told them in verse 25, In this world the kings and the great men lord it over their people, yet, the, yet they are called friends of the people. But among you it will be different. Those who are the greatest among you should take the lowest rank, and the leader should be like a servant. Who is more important, the one who sits at the table or the one who serves? The one who sits at the table, of course, but not here. For I am among you as one who serves. Talking about the Lord's Supper. It says, do this in remembrance of me. What was the this, he says, and we quote this in communion all the time. Do this in remembrance of me. This doesn't refer to simply bread and a cup, but life around the table. When Jesus was sitting there saying, from now on, when you think of me, do this. He wasn't saying a little wafer that we have in a cup. He was saying gather together and do a meal together. Sit together. Have community and conversation. Do this. Do life around a table with other Jesus apprentices, with a focus on Jesus as the center, not just juice and crackers. He says in remembrance of me. We look backwards when we remember to his creation, his teaching, his death, his resurrection, and the work of redeeming us. He was saying, do this, do life together around a table, and remember, look back to what I've done. I also want you to look in at your lives and those around us to see what Jesus is doing at the work, at the here and now. And it also says, look ahead to his return, because he's coming back in the promise of heaven. Remembrance is past, present, and future. Do this, do life together around a table, and think about what I've done, what I'm doing, and what I will do says the Lord. N.T. Wright, the theologian, says it this way. The hardest thing about the sacraments is they invite us to look at time in a different way. The term memorial does not mean merely bringing something to mind or remembering. It refers in some way to bringing that past story and the divine action of the past into the present, such that the present audience becomes part of the story and receives the benefit from such actualization. To remember is to look back, to look ahead, and make it applicable right now. Taught my son to drive, and we were, we were driving when he got his license. I'd often say to him when we were on the highway and he was changing lanes, Josh, don't forget, remember to shoulder check. What was I saying in that moment? I was saying, remember 
to look over your shoulder, not as a test going, listen, you pass this on your test. Let's see if you still remember what was on that test. Not a way of remembering something that was to see if his memory was good. It was a remembering to shoulder check. Why? To say, take it from the past, put it into your present. Look over your shoulder right now. It will affect your future because if you don't, there might be someone in your blind spot who will cause an accident. You'll find yourself in harm and in hurt and in a ditch. To remember is to remember what was, use it right now in the present, and it will affect your future driving forward. Do this in remembrance of me. When we come together in community around a table and remember what Jesus had done, it affects our right now and changes our course moving forward. That's what it means in remembrance of me. It wasn't a test of memory. It was to impact the safety of this present and also to direct our future. We call it the Lord's Supper. Um, there's more than these, but I'm going to pick on real quick. I'm going to mention five different names, depending on your background and how you were raised. Maybe some of you weren't brought up in church. Maybe you were brought up going um, Easter and Christmas. Maybe you have different, maybe a different type of church background. We speak of five different names of the table of the Lord. I want to unpack these because I think there's a truth in each of them that I believe is going to impact us as we Realize the gift of hospitality in our faith. Each name speaks to the value and also to the design from heaven. Number one, the one I use the most is communion. This is the term I grew up using, holy communion. We remember that we are to have a community with Jesus and each other, communion. The value of doing this together is often neglected. In this season, more than ever, people are refraining from gathering, and they think, I'll just do it by myself. Communion is reminding us that we are in community with each other and with Jesus. Communion and community come from the same Greek word, koinonia. Koinonia is defined as intimate spiritual communion, fellowship, and actively sharing in a common religious commitment and spiritual community. The same word for communion is the same word that we get community. Everyone talks about community, but it's in scripture as communion. To be present with Jesus and the person beside you. That means to be fully present. You put away your phone, you put away your to-do list, you put away your distractions, and you're fully present in the moment, both with your neighbor and with your Savior. That is what communion is. We have a rule, no phones at our table in our house. No phone, why? Because we're at the meal, but we want to be fully present. How many times have I been in communion or in mealtime with friends and family, and I've been there, but I've not been there? to be fully present. When we take communion today, when we sit together in, with fellow Jesus followers, whether it be at Tim Hortons or Starbucks or at your home or at a restaurant or in a cafe and we're fully present, it is community of communion. We're fully present with Jesus at the center embracing people to the table. That is communion. It's also called the breaking of bread. I don't know if you ever heard of that term. We're gonna, this Sunday we're going to be breaking of bread, of the Holy Sacraments. Luke twenty two nineteen 19, it says he took bread, he gave thanks, and he broke it and gave it to them. Acts 2, 42, in the NIV, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. This is the early church. And to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. It was a part of the early church, fundamental. This is what they were doing, breaking of bread. Acts 20, verse 7, on the first day of the week, which was Sunday for them, Sunday nights, they came together to break bread together. Luke, as he was writing about communion, was he writing about communion or was he writing about a meal together? Because you're reading this, you're going, what are you talking about? Are you talking about communion as we know it 
Are you talking about having a meal together? He was writing about both. Yes, to both. There was no difference in this passage when Luke was remembering the story, the teachings of Jesus. It was communion. It was a meal. It was both. That's how this was done. Breaking of bread. Bread was a staple in the Mediterranean diet. It's still a staple in my diet. Come on, somebody. Bread and cheese. I'm so thankful. It's... But before there was bread knives and before all this cutlery, they would take the bread and fresh baked bread and they would literally tear it apart and pass it down the table. You would take a piece and pass it down. Now, sanitary and all this stuff, we cut things and back then you just rip it and pass it down. They tore the bread. The bread had to be broken. Please don't miss this before it was enjoyed. In the same way, Jesus, who is the bread of heaven, had to be broken before he was enjoyed. John 6, 35 says it this way. Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. The bread was torn apart, broken, then passed freely to us, to enjoy the life he gave us. Jesus went to the cross and was broken, was torn, and from that was given life. And in the, when we break bread, have communion, when bread is torn, it is symbolic of what Jesus was about to do. And from that tearing comes life. Here's a statement that, that, that I find startling but true. All life comes from death. You are alive today because something died for you. All food, whether it be animal or plant, died so we could live. You vegans aren't off the hook. <laughs> Plants died, animals died, but we could live. You are breathing right in this moment, in and out, alive today because something died. Food, animal or plant, is a daily reminder that life comes by death and sacrifice. It's a reminder that God made us this way, that we are not independent. We are joined and can only survive because of what we are joined to. In a spirit of independence, in a, in a season of independence where everybody is on their own and their individual freedoms, God made us in a way that we are designed that only life comes from death, that we are interlinked. God has woven redemption even into our design made us dependent on food, a daily reminder that three or more times a day in meals that we need something to sacrifice and die in order for us to live. God made us with redemption in our very genetics, that we had to enjoy the sacrifice of something for us to live. Food is much more than fuel. It's actually divine significance when you think about that. When you eat today, remember, something sacrificed and died, your salad or your steak so that we can live. It's more than figurative. In Psalm 34, 8, it says, taste and see that the Lord is good. That's more than just figurative. It's actually literal that when we eat, we're realizing because of death, we are alive. It's also speaking to the cross. Because he died, we live. When we eat, we're reminded that life comes from sacrifice. When you have a meal together, it's a holy time. You understand, because of sacrifice, I'm able to feel fulfilled and nourished and can go on. It's the same thing in our spirits. Because Jesus died for our sins, we have life today. All life comes from death and sacrifice. Maybe you heard of this word growing up, the Eucharist. The Greek word that this comes from is eucharisto, which means thanksgiving. The thanksgiving meal is what the Eucharist means. 
It comes from the verse when they said they broke bread and then Jesus gave thanks. That word thanks is the same word, Eucharisto, where we get the Eucharist from. For my Catholic brothers and sisters, I believe that's what you would have called it. It came from this word meaning thanksgiving. All we enjoy in God and from God is a gift. We deserve nothing and we are blessed with so much and out of that comes a thankful heart. Entitlement is the quickest way and sure way to bitterness and discontentment. We have someone entitled, there's a, there's a, there's a, I've rarely seen an entitled, content, or joyful person. When we come to the Eucharist or to the Thanksgiving meal, what we're saying is we're acknowledging we deserve death, we deserved hell, our sin separates us from God, and everything I have in my life that is good is from the Father. And out of that flows a thanksgiving to God when we eat together. Very often, not just Thanksgiving in our home, we'll sit around and go, what are you thankful for today? It's a great practice. A little cheesy at times, but what are you thankful for? And when something happens out of your spirit, when you start to get thankful for things, you start realizing, man, I'm, I didn't earn that. I didn't deserve that. That wasn't my, my willpower or my intelligence. That is just a gift. Thankfulness comes out of dependence, knowing we are not the center of the story. We are dependent on a gracious God, because of his graciousness. Listen, if you knew, I've said this before, if you knew everything I ever said, thought, or did, you wouldn't want me as one of your pastors. And if I knew everything you ever thought, said, or did, I wouldn't want you to be part of our church. What a great relationship we have. Thank God for the grace of God. And we have so much to be thankful for. The Eucharist, the Thanksgiving meal. It's humility and appreciation to say thank you and to put it into practice. Thanksgiving proceeds and produces joy. Can I challenge you today, if you're not feeling joyful, start thanking people and thanking God. You watch what will happen. It'll produce and it precedes joy. You cannot stay ungrateful or discontent or even unhappy when you start to start thanking. It starts to prime the pump. Something happens when you start to exclaim your thankfulness. You want more joy? Start being more thankful. You watch what God will do. The Lord's table Hear some of you thinking, isn't it a place of deep repentance? The verse goes on saying, make sure it's right before you, you have communion because some have suffered even death because of their hearts being not pure. Isn't it a place of deep repentance? Isn't communion this place of just, just deep confession and introspection? Listen, I believe in purity and repentance and confession. In fact, I believe the church has lost it in this season. We're looking for God to be our, 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 our spiritual guru or our coach and just tell us good things. Most of us only struggle. Listen, you can tell the first time you correct somebody is the first time you see what's really in their heart. And we don't want God correcting us. We want God cheering us on, giving us opportunities, blessing us. But correction is a challenging place. I believe in repentance and I believe in confession. But the Lord's table, repentance is key. But repentance is a private, personal space before getting together to celebrate God's goodness. In 1 Corinthians 11.28, Paul's writing here, and he says this about communion. That is why you should examine yourself. Repent, confess, look at your heart, going, shouldn't have said that, thought that, done that. It says examine yourself, watch this, before eating the bread and drinking the cup. What Paul is saying is before you get together, with Jesus' followers, with Jesus at the center, thanking him for what he's done, remembering what he's done, before you arrive to the meal in private going, God, how is it with us? 
Repent, confess before you get together. When you get together, then you're in a place where you are celebrating the goodness of God, what he's done, what he's doing, what he will do with other Jesus followers. He's saying set aside time in your life before to repent, confess, receive forgiveness, receive grace. So when you get together, you have much to celebrate before you meet. It's not this picture of repenting just before you take the bread and juice in your seat. I had this picture in my life many times of like, oh, it's communion. Oh, man, I got to confess. God, I know, I know I'm not right. I shouldn't have said that. Shouldn't have done that. Shouldn't have, shouldn't have gone there. Shouldn't have been a part of that. And it's like, oh, quick, before I take the bread, Father, forgive me. And it's like this quickly repenting and tossing the garbage out of my life going, I got to get right. I got to get right in the moments walking down to pick up the emblems. Before we do it, you're just like, oh, I shouldn't have said that. And you're feeling the angst between you and your spouse or you and your friends going, I know we fought the whole way to church. And I just read that verse going, oh, well, she better say she's sorry. I'm not saying I'm sorry. And this whole tension of I got to repent, it's not what is spoken to here in Scripture. It's just in private daily confession. Every morning and every night going, God, how are we? Short accounts with God. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath making sure that you're right with God. So when you come together in this place, when you come together around tables, around barbecues, around coffee, in Williamsburg, New York, on Cobblestone, or in the, 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 the snowdrifts of Moncton, in Jesus' name, that you together are celebrating what God is doing. It's doing business with God, then coming and celebrating forgiveness, grace, community, and blessing. Number four, we also call it the Lord's Supper. Is that an East Coast thing, supper? So most people grew up calling it dinner. I grew up calling it supper. Just it's supper time. Supper time. Anything after 5 o'clock was supper. It's, we call it the Lord's Supper. 1 Corinthians 11, 20 to 22. When you meet together, you're not really interested in the Lord's Supper. For some of you hurry to eat your own meal without sharing with others. As a result, some go hungry while others get drunk. What? Don't you have your own homes for eating and drinking, or do you really want to disgrace God's church and shame the poor? What am I supposed to say? You want me to praise you? Well, I certainly will not praise you for this, the Lord's Supper. The church at this time, when this was written, would come together on Sunday nights for a full-blown supper. It was a full meal, not to sing, not to preach, but to eat, and they called it the Lord's Supper. Earliest transition translations actually called it Jesus dinner. They would come to eat together at this Jesus dinner, this Lord's Supper, and there was not singing, there was not praying, there was not a message. It was simply community and hospitality. And in the middle of that, they called it the Lord's Supper. Paul's describing, describing the practice of a covenant meal. Now, before there was legal contracts in this time and signed documents, when you went to an agreement with somebody, either in relationship or in business, you would get together, you would make a sacrifice, sacrifice an animal, you would then um, cook that sacrifice, and together, looking each other in the eye, you would break that food, you would eat that food together, and that was the same as signing contracts or documents. It was a covenant meal. It was a committing in that moment going, I'm committing to be honest with you. I'm committing to be faithful to you. I'm committing that my strength is your strength. Your weakness is my weakness. We are now one in this meal. The, the, the covenant meal, the Lord's Supper, was actually a commitment meal. It was a recommitting. That's why when you get married, you have a wedding meal. 
That's why when we do communion, we're recommitting ourselves to the Lord. When you have communion, what you're saying is, I'm committing again to the cause of Christ. It's not just juice, water, it's been, juice, wafer, it's been a while, we should probably do this, it's probably good. In the same manner also, he took the cup. Are we good? All right, see you at Easter. It's more than that. When we sit here, we go, this is a meal. I don't need to sign a contract or a membership to a church. This isn't about a document. This is about my heart going, we are one. We are committed. The cause of Christ is my anthem. His words are my life. His pain is my pain. His vision is my vision. His values are my values. His heart is my heart. And we recommit ourselves to the cause of Christ. It's a covenant meal. It's saying, I'm committing, I'm making a vow today to uphold this agreement and relationship, and this meal is my pledge. When you eat together around a table, you're saying, I'm committing to you. We are having a meal together, the Lord's Supper. When we come together, we're saying, Jesus, you're not just something, I do what I want during the week, and I come here and just kind of, it's saying, no, no, I am committing my life to you. It's more than every head bowed and every eye closed. On the count of three, raise a hand. It's actually every time we take communion, we're saying, I'm committing to the cause of Christ. The Lord's Supper is an act of commitment. It's covenant meal to take up your cross and leave behind your sin. Eating turns into a pledge of recommitment. The meal was a recommitment to following Jesus. Commitment to following Jesus and turn from the God of self that, that culture worships. I don't know if you know this, but culture worships self. Can I just vent for, I don't vent when I preach. Can I just vent for 30 seconds? Get ready for this. It's so good. I hate award shows. Award shows are people going, here, we're really special. Let's get together and celebrate ourselves. I'm going to give you an award, and you get an award, and I get an award, and we'll make millions of people watch us celebrate ourselves getting an awards for something we did. We threw the party for ourselves. If that's not a picture of culture, the God of self, we worship ourselves. And when we have communion, we're committing to following Jesus, not the culture of self. Culture worships comfort and sex and greed and pleasure and opinions. Listen to me. Jesus was a celibate, single Jewish rabbi living to die, owning nothing and giving everything. You won't find a more opposite value system or focus to today's culture than the life and teachings of Jesus Christ. When we put Jesus at the center, we're saying your value, your plan, your kingdom, not the kingdom of self and sex and greed and what feels right and comfort. It's saying I'm dying to myself. I'm committing to what Jesus is the opposite of most of our culture today. That's why Jesus is not popular. And if he's popular, it's probably not Jesus. And we choose to place our identity in this covenant rather than comfort, attractions, and possessions. My identity is in this covenant, not in my attractions, comfort, or possessions. We must decide to trust and obey him and follow him or go the way of the original sin in the garden and say we know better and break covenant and eat the fruit of exalting ourselves. We show up to the Lord's Supper serious about our dedication, not halfway. All in. All in. There's a, there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a line being drawn in culture right now in the church. And revival is upon us. Even this week in Kentucky, college students are crowding a college of Ashbury right now 
been going on all week where they will not leave until they meet with God. Something is stirring in our culture. People are going, I'm either in or I'm out. And I respect those that say they're out. But there are those of us that want in. It's a full commitment. Not led by our sensual cravings all week and come here and give an hour to God. All so much of my life is just giving God pockets of time. If we're halfway, it's something. But it's not the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is a recommitment. Last one, the Mass. Mass. This name isn't found in the New Testament. It's actually, it's, it, when the church spread to Rome, it was added then. When communion ended, they added this Latin phrase, "Ita missa este, which meant you are sent out. They added this at the end of communion. And the word in the middle, missa, is where they get the word mission. It's where the word mission comes from. You're sent out, a Latin word, missa. We remember we serve a Jesus who was sent out to seek and save the lost. When we gather at the Lord's table, there is a mission for us that we're not just here for ourselves. We're here to reach our family, to reach our neighbors, to reach strangers, to reach the marginalized with the good news of God's salvation, that God is good and his grace is real. And all of these names share a common truth. It was a meal, not a wafer and juice. Now we do this and we'll continue to do this. But can I tell you, real communion is when you're sitting around with one, two, three, five friends and Jesus is at the center and you're talking about everything he's done, he's doing and he will do and you're breaking bread and you're scooping pasta and together you're making Jesus the center. Something happens in that moment. We call it communion. We call it the Lord's Supper. We call it the Eucharist. We call it breaking of bread. We call it Mass. Here's what's interesting. In the earliest picture of the church, we have a picture here. I think we can throw this up. The earliest picture of the church in 110 AD, found in the catacombs of Rome. This is the earliest any vision, visual of the church they've ever found. It's a painting underneath Rome in the catacombs. This painting is called Breaking of Bread. It's amazing that it isn't a picture of the earliest, this is the earliest picture of the church, seven people sitting around eating a meal together. The earliest picture is not a large gathering with thousands of people. It's not a worship service or one man or woman preaching. It's not. This is the picture of the earliest church. Was the earliest church against large meetings like we're going to have Rebecca Cohen? Not at all. But the truth was the church was illegal. And it was underground, meeting in basements and catacombs, hiding from um, the religious and persecution of the politicians of the day. And this is what church was for hundreds and hundreds of years. They're not against large gatherings. We see it in Acts. Thousands got saved. Open-air meetings. Jesus preached to thousands. It's not against it, but this is how the church originally was started. There is something about a meal and sitting together. And we have put it off in the distance going, if we just get together, show up, sing three songs, hear a message, and go. Church, there's more. There's more. The church isn't just large gatherings. There's real connection. The point is this. The table of the Lord that we're going to enjoy in a moment is one of hospitality. And it isn't just to make friends and to be nice. It's about reaching the lost. It's about being accountable, vulnerable to brothers and sisters for correction and encouragement. Who tells you no? If no one tells you no, you don't have community. Who corrects you? Who encourages you? Who celebrates with you? And who bumps you back in the line? That is the table of the Lord. It's a place of healing. 
a filling with joy, a happy meal. The joy many of us are missing is in the connection of community. It's a recommitment to the cause of Christ. In a moment, I'm going to take this and you're going to take this and I will recommit myself whether we have a building or not a building, whether inflation goes up or down, whether I feel God or not. God, I'm saying, like my marriage, like any other relationship that I'm in covenant with, God, I will serve you in joy and in pain, in sickness and in health till death does us part. It's ascending on mission. We felt to book Rebecca Cohen to make a statement. We're not going anywhere. And you're so gracious. You're going to come. You're going to bring friends, and we're going to celebrate Jesus. Listen, we're not here to hide. We are on mission. There are more people that need the goodness of God. More people need community and tables and relationships, people correcting them and encouraging them. They need the goodness of the grace of God, which reminds me, small groups are launching in a few weeks. Get in a small group. If you're a dream team member and you want to lead a small group, there's still time. There's training tomorrow night. But we're believing all over the city there will be tables of people just connecting and not just being seen, being known. And today we're going to celebrate with communion. All over this place, come on, let's stand to our feet today. If you grab your emblems. If you didn't get an emblem and you need one, can you just raise your hand up? The ushers are going to flood you right now and get you one of these. If you've never done this before, we're going to do this together. We'll walk you through it. Today symbolizes the Lord's Supper. It's more than this, but I believe today we can pull the symbol out of this. As we break bread in a moment and drink of the juice, we're going to remember him. If you want to just peel the front top layer off and pull out your tasty wafer. says in verse 19 he took bread and he gave thanks and he broke it into pieces and gave it to the disciples saying this is my body which is given for you do this to remember me listen in a moment we're going to take this but it's remembering shoulder checking not to pass a test going right I remember Jesus no no the shoulder checking the remembering impacts my decision today you know, guide me tomorrow. I'm remembering that God died for me, not to live a cheap, shallow, lustful uh, faith, but to recommit myself that God is good and I am faithful because he is faithful. I remember today the goodness of God and it changes my present and it'll lead me into my Monday. Let's partake together. Thank you, Jesus. I'm going to peel off a second layer of the juice. It says in verse 20, after supper, after the meal, the laughing and the talking and the encouraging and the correcting and the sharing and the remembering. He took another cup of wine and said, this cup is a new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice to you. I want to remind you today, all life comes from death. It's hard to hear that, isn't it? But we are breathing today because something had to die. That plant, that animal, we're here. When we know today, spiritually, we're alive today. We're remembering the covenant. And because he died, we don't have to. Because he carried sin, we don't have to be bound by it. 
He fought the grave and hell and won. So we have a promise of eternity with the Father in heaven. We remember today the new covenant. We don't earn it. We're not self-made women and men. We are here because of the sacrifice and death of another. We are alive. Food is remembering that. Today we are remembering that we are here today because of the death and sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Let's drink together. Pastor Matt, will you lead us in a song? We're going to close today. And as we get ready to go, I want to remind you of the Mass. Misto, we are on mission. As we walk through those doors, your assignment starts. The mission field is there. And we go on assignment, remembering God, affecting today, changing tomorrow, reaching our city, reaching our friends. All over this place. Come on, Pastor Matt. Let's lead us today as we remember. What a beautiful name it is. Oh, come on, let's sing that. The name of Jesus Christ, my King. What a beautiful name it is. And nothing compares to this. What a beautiful name it is. The name of Jesus. You didn't want heaven without us. So of his sacrifice that affects our today and our tomorrow. I bless you with the remembrance that all life comes from death and sacrifice. Reminds you that we are together, focused on Jesus. I bless you in your going and your coming. I bless you in your sleeping and your waking. I bless you in your relationships that God would be the center of it all. And your commitment would be strong and his presence would be real. I bless you in the name of Jesus Christ. Everybody said, have an amazing week. Guests, if you're guests, stop by the yellow wall. Next Steps is happening right now. The coffee is flowing. Pick up your kids, and we'll see you next Sunday morning. Back here.